always a blessing. Um, the last few times that I've been here, uh, we've looked at First Peter, and I wanted to continue now in going into Second Peter. And it's been a, a tremendous blessing for me to go through the book of Second Peter. And uh, I'm actually a teacher at a Christian school. Um, that's what I do um, Monday through Friday. And um, as a teacher, when I, when I prepare a lesson for the students, I always find that uh, I learn more than the students do. <laughs> it's, a, it's more of a blessing for me than the students, and I've spoken with many other teachers who, uh, who can concur with that. Um, so uh, having been asked to, to share the word with you, um, I find it a great blessing to me. And I thank the Lord for that, and I thank you for the opportunity um, to be here. Now, I titled this sermon, uh, Important Reminders for Life and Godliness. And uh, the reason I, I titled it that comes from verses 12 through 15, where, where you hear uh, the author with uh, this, this uh, repeated word, reminder. He says in verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. In verse 13, he says, um, I think it right to stir you up by reminding you. And then in, the, in verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. So he's very concerned that we are reminded of certain things. And he says, in that verse 15 I just read, he says, um, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. So I want to look at verses 1 through 11, the, the preceding verses, to find out what are these things that he's so uh, eager and so uh, anxious to remind us of. So what is it that he feels so urgent for us to be reminded of always? Well, let's start at the beginning. The address, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So we have the address, the from whom. It's from uh, Simon Peter. And we read that he's the bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, the sent one of Jesus Christ. So not only is this letter from, from just merely a man, Simon Peter, but he's a chosen apostle of the Lord Jesus. And these words that he's about to share with us is a message from the Lord himself. Uh, Peter himself says in uh, the second chapter that um, the prophecies did not originate with man, but, they, but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke as the Lord gave them utterance. So we know that these words are really ultimately from the Lord himself. So the address is from Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to whom? To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first point I, I want to, to make here is that Peter wants to remind us that we've been given, we've been given something very precious. And this, just in the, in the dress itself, in the very beginning, he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Now, the word obtained, uh, it can be misleading. In, in uh, English, common present-day English, we use obtained to mean something that we struggle and strive for and that we get ourselves. 
you know, I obtained my driver's license by taking the test and passing it and giving them the money, the DMV, and I've, I obtained it. You know, it's, it's everything we did to get it. Um, but actually, uh, this, this word that's translated obtained is used, uh, I believe, three other times in, in the New Testament, in that Greek word. And uh, one other instance of that word is in Acts 1.17, where Judas, where Peter... Uh, addressing his, his fellow um, disciples, and he says, uh, he refers to Judas as having obtained his ministry from Jesus. Now, we would not say that Judas worked and earned his ministry from Jesus. He received, he was appointed by Jesus. He was appointed a disciple by Jesus. And the other, the other uh, couple of instances of the word obtained are in, in conjunction with um, a uh, casting of lots or the lot falling to someone. So really, it's, it's uh, that word obtained, you can think of it more as uh, receiving or being appointed to, being appointed to. So if we think of that, to those who have been appointed to or have received like precious faith. So our faith doesn't originate with us. It's given to us. And we will see as we continue on how that, that theme of, of what has been given to us is really emphasized by Peter. So those who have obtained like precious faith. Now, this is not just something nice. Oh, I got, a, I got some faith from God. He says this is a precious faith. It's a value of, of greater value than all the money in the world. It's of greater value than all the power in the world, than all the fame in the world. It's of greater value than anything in this world anything else that this world has to offer. It's a precious faith that has been given to us. And he continues, um, we have obtained it by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have received or obtained it by means of His righteousness. Again, emphasizing that the faith comes from Him. It's a gift from Him. In Ephesians 2, we read, By grace we have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Right? So our faith is a gift. It's been given to us. It's a gift of grace that originates with Him and is given to us. So this, Peter's uh, careful to, to make that clear in the very beginning, even in the address. He wants to underline and emphasize that the faith we have is precious and that's been given to us through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And we can't overlook this descriptor that's placed before Jesus Christ, the title Savior. You know, sometimes if we've grown up in the church, we hear that word so much that it, it just kind of, we, we don't give it too much thought anymore. But the fact that he says Savior Jesus Christ points us to the fact that we have been saved. That, as the scripture tells us, it reminds us that Jesus saved us, that he is saving us, and that he will save us. Savior, Jesus Christ. This is, there's so much in that. And I just wanted to take a look at a few scriptures to, um, to draw that out. In uh, Titus 3.5, the scripture says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, 
He saved us, something that has been done through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Scripture also speaks of us being saved, something that's happening now. Not only something that was done, but something that is happening right now. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then finally, as we think of Jesus Christ being our Savior, we will be saved. In uh, Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost. All the way. He's able to save us all the way to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You hear the sense of being saved and also going to be saved. In 1 Peter, the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, says uh, it speaks about, according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance reserved in heaven for you, listen, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that is no small descriptor, no small title placed before Jesus Christ. Savior. Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I was in uh, at a men's retreat uh, several years ago and um, Harvey Cedars. There's a man there that had a, had a uh, sailboat, and he asked me and another guy if we wanted to, to, to go sailing with him. And I had mentioned, you know, prior months that uh, if he had brought a sailboat to this retreat, I would love to go with him. So he said, I'm going to go. Do you want to come with me? And we said, sure. It was a very windy day, and in fact, there was actually a wind advisory that had been issued by the Coast Guard uh, that it was dangerous. But uh, the three of us went on the sailboat. Only one, the guy who owned the sailboat, really knew what he was doing. The other two of us were trying to learn as we went. But to save you all the details, our boat capsized right in the middle of the bay. Uh, I mean, in the exact middle. It was three-quarters of a mile this way, three-quarters of a mile that way to get to the shore. And uh, this was in March. And the water, we found out later, was around 40 degrees. And uh, I ended up being there. Uh, they don't know exactly how long, but somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour. And um, I don't really remember because after about 20 minutes, I lost consciousness as I was trying to swim with the other guy to, to the shore. And um, the, I, I, I remember thinking, okay, I feel like my body's shutting down. Um, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. You know, if this is my time, it's my time. And if it's not, you're going to save me. And the next thing I remember, again, this is probably at least 30 to 45 minutes later, um, I, I, I had this vague uh, awareness of being pulled up on a jet ski. We were about 20 yards, apparently, from the actual uh, shore by the fire res local fire rescue. They pulled me up, and then the next thing I re remember is being put into an ambulance and having blankets put on me, and I was kind of going in and out of consciousness, but these warm blankets, they were warming me up, and eventually they brought my body temperature back up. Uh, by the time I got to the hospital, my, my body temperature was around 80 degrees, so they're not sure how cold it had actually had gotten. But um, you can die of hyperthermia. It's a, um, not something to uh, play around with. But had I swum to shore 
and gotten there, found a blanket, warned myself, and the fire rescue came, I would not say the fire rescue people saved me. But I say, I tell you, they saved me. God sent them to save me because it was not nothing that I did. It was done to me. And it was a grace. So that Savior, Jesus Christ, our, our precious faith has been given to us and we have been saved, not by anything we've done, but by what Jesus has done to us and for us. So, so this is an important, a very important start to this letter. Says this is an important start to these things that Peter so urgently wants to remind us of, because he first of all wants us to remember that what we have has been given to us by God. Now I want to look at uh, the next verse: Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the next thing I want to look at is not only what God has given to us, but what God's doing in us and doing to us grace and peace be multiplied to you that's interesting grace and peace be multiplied to you again to you we are objects that are receiving something and it's interesting that 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 the phrase multiply to you is used here grace we've already talked about grace the grace by which we've been saved oftentimes uh it's easy i know i find myself sometimes slipping into thinking of grace merely as this one-time thing that was given to me, you know, when, when I was chosen and regenerated. <laughs> but I don't think about the grace that's still working in me now. So he says, grace be multiplied to you. How can grace be multiplied to you unless it's something that, can, that is continuing and unless it's something that is growing, that's being added, we're receiving more and more grace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. <clears throat> Uh, that grace, the charis, the, the uh, Greek word in um, Spiros uh, Zodiades, uh, lexic, Greek lexicon, he d- defines it as kindness granted, a benefit, unearned or unmerited favor. So grace is not merely a one-time thing at conversion, gift given to us, and it's not a static thing, but it's an active thing that's continuing uh, to be given to us and multiplied, added to us. <clears throat> so what does this multiplied grace look like? Um, well, if we continue the next verse, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So as we move to the next verse, it picks up this theme and makes it clearer. According to his divine power, he has given to us, he has graced us with, he has given to us, bestowed upon us that grace. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's his power. It's his power now working in us, being multiplied to us, uh, that gives us what we need for life and godliness. Uh, if you, uh, my uh, New King James I'm using has a pertain in italics. Uh, italics, which uh, usually means there's not an actual Greek word being translated, but it's added to, to try and help grammatically, help the, uh, the sentence grammatically. Um, but the, uh, it's really just a um, preposition, to. As his divine power is given to us all things to life and godliness, or toward 
He can think of leading us to, to lead us to life and godliness. <clears throat> so what leads us to, gut, to life, to all things towards life and godliness? It's his divine power. Again, there's something active working in us now to multiply the benefits that grace brings. Um, and what are these benefits now? Well, that word uh, life, that pertains to life, this is not just a casual uh, being alive, you know, just, just having breath in your lungs and existing, but this is the life that we think of and that Jesus mentions when he, in John 10.10 10, when he says, the, th the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He has come to give us a life. And in, in, in his prayer in John 17, 3, he also says, uh, oh, I missed it here. But he says, um, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So life here, he means a being spiritually alive. It's an eternal life that begins now with fellowship with God and continues on into eternity. So what it's, it's uh, contrasted with corruption and death, which comes through sin. So his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life uh, and godliness, all things that we need to have life now and to have godliness. Um, it gives us life. Um, his power working in us gives us godliness. Godliness is, um, it's actually a combination of two Greek words that means well, like good or well, and uh, worship. So godliness is like worshiping well. Immediately you can think of Romans 12, verse 1, which tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. So a godliness, uh, it's defined in the Greek lexicon, Strong's um, Greek lexicon as um, devotion or piety, piety toward God life of devotion or piety towards God. But we know, according to Romans 12, that that devotion to God um, is also manifested in how we live. We live holy lives separated unto God. <clears throat> and that itself is an act of worship to God. So, so God's, it's God's power at work in us now that leads us to godliness. Um, there's also a sense here, if, uh, continuing on in verse 4, it says, um, as by, which we have, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So this godliness, this giving ourselves as, um, in devotion to God and piety toward God will also result in a participation in the divine nature. 
Now, Peter's not suggesting here, the scripture is not contradicting itself, that we don't become God. There's that creature creator distinction that's always maintained. There is no one like God. God makes it very clear in his scriptures. Um, but but what, it, what he's referring to, I believe, is we begin to look more like him in the way we live, the way we manifest him. And uh, there's a... There's a couple of reasons that I say that. Uh, there's, uh, in verse 3, as we just read, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, that word by glory can also be translated. It's translated in the ESV as to uh, glory and virtue. Uh, that can be translated either way. But if you consider what Romans Romans eight, uh, if you consider what Romans eight tells us, that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, conformed to the image of his son, we can see that we are actually being changed. In Second Corinthians, it says that uh, that uh, when we behold the face of Jesus, we are transformed from glory to glory. So there is um, a way in which we are becoming more like him, more like him in his, in his nature. So this, um, this godliness, we can also consider that uh, he is uh, working in us things that make us look more like our Lord Jesus. Now, verses 5 through, through 9, he actually gives us some, some specific um, qualities, some specific characteristics that we're called to live out. And uh, you can see in verse 5, we have faith, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And it says, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are all things that, that show, that make us fruitful and show that we are his, that we belong to him. And that the promises he's given to us for his power to be at work in us are actually at work in us. They're manifested through these, these characteristics. In, in verse 4, the glory and virtue by which we have been given, sorry, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, these precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, conformed to the image of the Son. What are these great and precious promises? Well, it's what he was just talking about. These great and precious promises, these precious promises that his divine power has given to us all things leading to life and godliness, pertaining to life and godliness. <clears throat> so, now, this leads us to another question here. 
how exactly does this power, does this power lead us to life and godliness? Is it something where we just sit back passively and just hope and pray that it, that it happens? It's through the knowledge of God. Look what he says in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. In verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things leading to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And again in verse 8, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the key, in the knowledge of God. Now knowledge is not an in mere intellectual knowledge, knowing isolated facts about someone. The demons know the Lord very well when he came to his own. And he says his own people did not, did not receive him. They did not recognize him. The demons, when they saw him, they said, we know who you are, the Son of God. They, they know more than anyone. But does, does just mere knowing who Jesus is, uh, just that mere intellectual knowledge, give us, does that mean that God's power is at work in us? No. This is a relational knowledge. The Greek word is, uses epignosis as opposed to just gnosis. Um, it's a familiarity with something or familiarity with something, being well acquainted with something or someone. It's a relational knowledge. And this is why knowing God is so important. Because when you know God, you have life. Right? John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life, true life, is knowing God, is having fellowship with God. And it's in that fellowship and knowing God, as he's reconciled us to himself, as we know him and have relationship with him and have fellowship with him, then his power is at work in us to give us all things, leading to life and to godliness. <clears throat> when you know God, you have life. And when you know, when you know God, you also have godliness. Uh, verse 4, this is by which we have been, which, uh, sorry, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, these promises, you just spoke of, the divine power, leading us to life and godliness, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, being conformed to the image of His Son, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or through sinful desire. So you see this juxtaposition of having escaped corruption. You have to see this juxtaposition of being partakers of the divine nature, having... Um, his divine power working in us through the knowledge of Him, through knowing Him. And then you have corruption that comes through what? Not through knowledge of God, but through lust or through sinful desire. So you can think of it as, as uh, sinful desire, corruption through sinful desire, as opposed to life through desire of God, through knowing Him. The more we know God, the more we, we, we want uh, to know him. In Second Corinthians three eighteen, it says, "What we all, with unveiled faces, beholding 
as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Have you ever experienced that? Where when you're spending time with the Lord, that your desire is, 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 um, is ignited. The fire grows for him. You want to know him more. The more time you spend with him, the more you want to know him. The more eager you are to walk in fellowship with him. The more eager you are to walk in holiness, set apart, to become, uh, to, be, to, to be conformed to his image. And have you experienced a time of, of dryness, where whether through the busyness of life or uh, temptations or distractions, things creep up and you start spending less and less time with them and you find it harder to even want to spend time with them. So it's, it's through the sinful desires that corruption comes. And it's through desire for God, through knowledge and fellowship with Him, that life comes, that godliness comes. <clears throat> So I, I want to um, move to the, the, the fourth point here, that, that these things that, that Peter lists, these characteristics of faith, adding to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He says, if these things are yours... And abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful. Now, if these things are yours, if they are yours, where, where would you have gotten them from? Where would they come from? What has Peter been telling us in this whole letter? They come through him, from him. But if they're yours, and they're manifested by how you live, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus says, He who abides in me, that lives in me, that having fellowship, that knowledge, that relational knowledge, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's exactly what Peter is saying. For without me... You can do nothing. Again, underscoring that even those fruits cannot be done without Him. They come through Him. They come through abiding in Him, dwelling in Him, knowing Him. He says, If anyone does not abide in Me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. In verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. Now it's clear he's not saying we, we become disciples by doing good things and by accumulating fruit and then we become disciples. No, he's saying, as one version translates it, so you will prove to be my disciples. Because he ju Jesus just said, without me you can do nothing. It's only abiding in Jesus, only by abiding in him that we bear fruit. And when we do that, we show that we are abiding in him, that we are his disciples. So, so what does Peter say then? 
uh, in verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That word forgotten, it's this idea of it's, it's hidden, it's, 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 it goes into oblivion. If you were to lack those things, it's as if you, you were never cleansed at all. Because if you're cleansed from your former sins, then God's power is at work in you, and you will not continue to live in sin. But you will have that fruit. You will demonstrate that fruit that shows that you do have fellowship with the God, that you are abiding in Christ, that His power is at work in you. <clears throat> in verse 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, and here's the, uh, the practical uh, challenge to us. Therefore, brethren, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So be diligent. So it's not a passive thing. It's not a passive thing for God's power to be at work in us. It requires diligence on our part to make our, uh, our call and election sure. And that the word to make, it's a, it's a present infinitive continuous. So you could, you could translate it to be making, be more diligent to be making your call and election sure. Uh, as the ESV translates it, to confirm your call and election. And again, lest we think that he's, he's saying that, that somehow that our call and election is relies on on our work he spent the the first part of his letter by saying that the faith that we have comes from him that the the godliness that we have comes from his power at work in us so it's not us but doesn't mean we're passive think about what um philippians chapter 2 verses 12 to 13 tells us work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So knowing that God's power is at work in us should make us all the more eager to show it, to demonstrate it, and to do it because his power is at work in us. It's an encouragement. We have to be careful not to forget that thing, not to forget this. And it's through this, through this working God in us, that we will never stumble. The stumble doesn't mean mess up or sin. We still all stumble, but there's grace and forgiveness. As the Psalms tells us, that tell us, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. If, if you kept the record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But you will never stumble. This is the idea of, of failing salvation, of, of, of missing salvation. If there's no fruitfulness in your life, as Jesus said, the branch will be cut and thrown out and burned. But if you're diligent to make your call, to confirm your election and God's power is at work in you, then as verse 11 says, so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, the entrance is supplied to us. It's supplied to us from, from the Lord. <clears throat> So now we, we, we get to the verses 12 through 15, the reminders. Therefore, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always 
I want to stir you up by reminding you. I want to be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. So what are these things? To, to recap, what are these things that he wants to remind us of? He wants to remind us that we have been given a faith, a precious faith. He wants to remind us that God's power is at work in us to lead us to, to life and to godliness. He wants to remind us to be diligent to, to work out our salvation. To, to, to live in the way that God uh, has, has, uh, wants us to live through his power. To, to confirm our calling, to confirm that God is at work in our lives, that God has saved us, that God is saving us, and that God will save us. Very important reminders. So, with that in mind, practically, what does that look like for us this week? This coming week, as we go, and we've, we've looked at God's word here in First Peter chapter 1. Well, first, how do, how do these things come to us? We, we read, through knowledge of Him, through knowing Him. How do we know God? How do we know God? Through His word. Through His word. I challenge you, this month, Second um, Peter, it's, it's only three chapters. It doesn't take long. You can read the whole thing in, in what, 20 or 30 minutes? Yeah. Make, make it a goal to read through through Second um, Peter this month at least, at least 15 times. At least 15 times. So give it two days. If you can do it every day, even better. And as you're reading it, you'll see you're, you're, you're fellowshipping with, with God. Because this is the very word of God. This is, this is God breathed. This, the word of God is, uh, is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through His word. And when we take time to really meditate on these things, meditate on all these promises that have been given to us, remind, uh, meditate on all the things that we've been called to, to do through His power. As we do these things, we're going to be stirred up. This, Peter said he wanted to stir us up by reminding us of these things will be stirred up. So read Second Peter. Meditate on the precious promises. Contemplate what they are. And meditate on what God is calling you to do. Read and meditate on this daily. The second thing, look at, in Second Peter chapter 1, look at uh, verses 5 through 8, or 5 through 7, and these characteristics. And take each one of them, maybe one, one a day. One a day each week. Uh, you've got faith, or virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Take one each day of the week and say, and pray, Lord God, how can I manifest this? Work in me. How can I live this out? How can I confirm that you are at work in me? How can I have virtue today? How can I have knowledge? Through reading the scriptures. Take a verse. Memorize it. Let that be the, what, the knowledge that, that um, causes you to grow more like Him. Self-control. When you're tempted to, to start paying more attention to something than you, than you ought, going to something, it could be even something that's you know, on its own, food, for example, that's legitimate. But sometimes we can go, when we feel stressed, we can go to food for comfort rather than going to the Lord. It's in a subtle way, we're, turning, we're losing self-control and turning to an idol. Um, take a day where you say, Lord, how can I manifest self-control? through your power. 
brotherly kindness. How can I show kindness to a brother or sister today in your church? And love, agape. How can I show that, that agape love that, that, that's not rooted in the fact that you're a family or that you're a friend or that we have a common interest? How can I demonstrate that agape love that just gives and doesn't look to receive? So read through Second Peter this month at least 15 times. Um, each day of the week, and this is a challenge to myself as well, each day of the week, take one of those, those uh, characteristics and pray and ask the Lord, how can I live this out today? So, as we do that, as we do that, be encouraged that God has given us power. That His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life, to eternal life, and to godliness. So, to devotion to Him, to living holy for Him. Well, let's, let's pray and ask God to be at work in us. Lord God, we thank You for the Word that You've given us. We thank You that You have left us a Word, Your words, to build us up in the faith that You have given us. We thank You, God, that Your divine power has given us all that we need for life, true life, and for godliness. We thank you, Lord, because the letter says, has addressed to us who have obtained the faith that we, we, we trust that we will not find ourselves to have fallen away, but that, that your power, that we will find that your power is at work in us, Lord. We thank you that you've saved us, that you are saving us, and that you will save us. As we commit ourselves, God, to seek you in your word daily, to know you, to know you more, as we seek to, to be godly, to, to live lives of holy devotion to you, manifesting your holiness, manifesting your nature to the world. We pray that your power would be at work in us, that this precious and very great promise would prove true. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that uh, applies your word to our hearts. Uh, we ask that you would continue to, to uh, abide with us as we abide with you. In Jesus' name, amen.